0: Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to yet another edition of One Day Closer to Dead. I am Dave Beaudry. And I am Jason Bailey. And Jason, how is the Vanilla Godzilla doing this week? We are into May, which is fucking with me a little bit.
1: I know, it's very strange, isn't it? It, it seems like uh, the damn year just started, but it's uh, damn near halfway over. So, But that happens, I mean, as you get older, just shit is just flies by it goes so fucking quick so maybe this is normal for our age I don't know it just seems Uh, like the whole thing sped up really quick
0: no I was just talking about all the Justin Timberlake memes that always happen at the very beginning of this month every year if I go another day without seeing those I would be perfectly happy
1: well, I did actually enjoy. Yesterday was uh, May fourth, and as we know, May Star the, Wars Day. May the fourth be with you. So I enjoyed that and uh, watched a little bit of the Bad Batch on uh, Disney Plus. So yeah, that was pretty good. Um, but it always reminds me what a what a wonderful mythological day, uh, and we should pray to our Lord and Savior, uh, Anakin, Scott, Darth Vader. I mean, uh, uh, um, um, Yoda.
0: Well, I mean, today is also. As of, I mean, obviously the day we're recording, not the day that people are necessarily listening, but today is Revenge of the Fifth. <laughs> is it now? Okay, well, there we go. Well, that's that's even
1: better because, you know, I, I wish I was a Jedi Knight, but I think I'm uh, a lapsed Jedi going into Dark Lord of the Sith. So, I mean, maybe this is my day. I don't know.
0: Now, what did you think of the Bad Batch? Because I haven't watched it. I'm not. I have not been a big follower of. Like, I haven't watched it. You know, Cody is a, a huge fan of uh, the Clone Wars,
1: mm-hmm. or at least the mm-hmm.
0: latter later seasons of it. I think it started. He thought it started rough and then got super good. And uh, and you know, haven't watched Rebels or anything. And it's not that I won't. It's just that I haven't gotten to it. So therefore, I understand that you kind of that's helpful if you're going to watch Bad Batch. So you kind of have that background. Uh, but what what were your, what were your your thoughts on bad batch real quick
1: i think it's okay i don't think it's th- i haven't got i haven't even got past the first episode yet cuz i am so fucking tired but i mean it's it's good for what it is um oddly enough speaking of commander cody our commander, Cody, not the, not the character in Star Wars, although they may be one and the same. Um, I actually enjoyed the Clone Wars from the Samurai, Samurai Jack guys. The, the first Clone Wars cartoons that came out on the Cartoon Network. Um, they have released that on Disney Plus, the original. Clone Wars uh, cartoons that were a bunch of shorts. They put it in two two batches for all you guys who really want to know what Jason Bailey's favorite Clone Wars are. That's out now. Uh, but this bad batch is done by the same Lucasfilm Studios that did the Clone Wars that probably all y'all out there are thinking about, and it's very much the same style. And you know, it's it's a group of uh, of, of the the troopers that basically are more you know edgy and. Hip with it, and they're just, you know, a little bit more personality. And the expendables of the stormtroopers. I mean, it's it's pretty, you know, standard fare for for making characters cool. The
0: the, the NWO of the Empire.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's like,
0: yeah. Hollywood Commander Cody.
1: I mean, it's just all, you know. So it's very um, heroes by formula of today kind of shit. Um, You know, they stray further and further away from what my Star Wars would be to get that old man spin on the motherfucker. But it's good for what it is. And speaking of the Clone Wars series that everybody out there knows um that is true the first few seasons um Fucking suck, and then it gets really goddamn good, and it's almost like I I, I think much like Batman the animated series, uh, the 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 more that the powers to be the power, people in control of money got away from it, the better it fucking got because the creative nerds uh, got their got their fingers into the pie a little bit more, and uh, that, it it turns into a fantastic series for all of you who uh, can't not get through the first two to three seasons. Of the fucking Clone Wars. I get it. I totally fucking get it. It bores the shit out of me. And there's some very mundane, elementary-type fucking storylines. And, oh, that's cute. But it does get goddamn motherfucking good. It really does. And you just got to stick through the whole fucking goddamn thing. And I hate... Because how many times do we hear that? It's good if you can just get past the first couple, and I'm like, oh, Jesus! But it, it's—I don't know how else to explain that. It, it does get very, very good. So, Bad Batch, I think, is from what I've seen, worth checking out. Uh, but uh, yeah, that's 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 what's going on with that right now.
0: So, anything else we need to go into before we start getting into the business of the week, Mister Bailey?
1: No, I mean, I think that's it. I think uh, it's 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 time to uh, time to get into it. Time to get into the dumpster fire. I'm feeling a little cold. I need a little warmth
0: here. Well, the world is a dumpster fire. Jason, did you know that? I did, sir. And did you know why? Because it truly fucking is. Indeed. Uh, So this week, uh, you had sent me an article that you were interested in possibly talking about, less about the article itself and more about the issue the article was raising. Uh, So how about uh, you kind of set the table on that, and then we will start discussing how humanity just needs to die in a fire.
1: I don't know why I'm so cheerful, but I'll tell you what these these depressing, terrible topics just they just warm me. I just fucking love it. I love how you you actually introduce this shit. Hey, folks out there, I don't know if you know this or not, but uh, flying fucking sucks, and it's getting worse every fucking day. Uh, the FAA has released a report, and I don't know why they released it other than to explain, you know, or, or maybe plead with the public to calm the fuck down. I'm not really sure, but uh, the, FAA, the it's, FAA... It's so we would talk
0: about it because we're so influential in the public discourse, Jason.
1: I, I Well, we might just be. I I don't know. Um, we're, we're definitely a virus here. Um, the FAA, who I guess tracks this shit, says that uh, on the average year in flying, when, you, you know, airlines and commercial airline uh, flying, that there's usually about 150 uh violent, aggressive incidents per year uh in the entire industry. American Airlines Delta, you know, what have you. All right, where somebody maybe's drunk, intoxicated, slaps somebody, gets up, yells at someone, they gotta be escorted off the plane. Unruly behavior, things of this nature. For-
0: for clarity as well, because the FAA is an American organization, I am assuming that that statistic is in the United States and not worldwide. Am I correct on that?
1: <clears throat> that that is correct. With, okay. Within the within the continental United States, or at least the companies that are from from the grand old U.S. of free enterprise, um, one hundred and fifty one year average in you know when they take out their their entirety of of the time they've been tracking this, and I'm really not sure how long they have. In the first four months of 2021, the FAA has reported that there has been 1,300 of these incidents occur in the first four months of 2021. So let's let's repeat this. It's usually 150 a year. It's 1,300 for the first third of this year. And uh, they went into it... Um, NBC was the one that that sort of uh, uh, had the interviews with them and and were asking these questions more specifics. But I guess the airline stewards um, union is also involved that uh, they cannot even keep the airline attendants uh, to help to help everybody out there up in up in the sky up in the flying tubes because nobody wants these fucking jobs anymore. No one wants to work in the airline business because the public has just become too goddamn unruly. So, if you were not wanting to travel before, you sure as shit probably don't want to get into the lean-on-me fucking airline anymore. It's really turned into a jungle up there, and they said that uh, mostly the incidents stem from a few things, and you're probably already able to guess a couple of them. But uh, the number one issue is the um, enforcement of wearing masks. Surprise, surprise, stunning. Stunning. I mean, yeah, astonishing. I didn't know this would come up and that they just can't keep the public from taking that mask off. Uh, Another one is political discourse that happens where one political uh, person is against another uh, person's politics based on what they're wearing or what they're saying or they're wearing a mask versus not wearing a mask um let your imagination run wild on that and those two or, things
0: do kind of bleed into each other do. the way the current society unfortunately is so those those are not separate those are kind of more interrelated than anything else but I uh, just wanted to, to bring that up while we were on the subject absolutely and
1: then uh good old-fashioned fucking alcohol tons of drinking before they get on the plane oh yeah what tons of drinking before they get on the plane more drinking when they're on the plane them smuggling you know alcohol on the plane somehow but alcohol is really a big fucking problem up in the skies right now and uh, anyone yeah
0: can you silence for one second can you can you hear that sound do you hear that what is that sound that is the sound of me being shocked.
1: It's shocking that, alcohol, that alcohol and politics on airplanes. Are, are causing this kind of behavior. But you see, the thing is, Dave, I listen, alcohol has always been readily available at the airports. If you go to the Absolutely. airport and you do not have a couple Bloody Marys before you get on, I think there's something might be wrong with you. But the fact is that it went from every year, this, this tiny amount, okay, of these kind of incidents too. It's just out of fucking control. It's like a battle royale on the goddamn planes. Any plane you get on, shit could pop off at a moment's notice. And here's something even more bizarre. I guess it's bizarre. Maybe it's not bizarre. Maybe it's not bizarre for all y'all out there. But there are air marshals on these planes that do not step up, step in or anything else because the air marshals, were started to put into effect after 9 11, part of the Homeland Security Patriot Act situation. Right, they're on these fucking planes, but air marshals are on the planes for a specific fucking reason. The specific fucking reason is terrorism in case somebody tries to take over the plane by force and hijack the plane. These kind of, you know, tit for tats over you're wearing a mask. I'm not wearing a mask. Donald Trump is God, savior of the universe. No, he's not. Fuck you. I supported Biden. I'm going to spit in your kid's mouth. Yes, that's a thing. Someone spit in somebody's kid's mouth. Heck, I can't even fucking make that up. I'm going to urinate on the plane. I'm throwing my biology all over the fucking place because it's my right. God damn it. Um, All this shit. The air marshals don't step in for that because they see it as, Yes, this is a fucking problem. And yes, I have a gun and could stop it right away. But I'm supposed to be incognito in case we're diverted to, you know, the Middle East or fucking wherever we're going because of political reasonings or, or whatever. Well, me, and they do not step
0: up. Let me so say something. Yeah. I'm sorry, Jason. I didn't mean to cut you off, though. I, It is kind of one of my favorite pastimes. Um, You know, in in... in spite of our previous subject of fight, flight, or fuck it, which does kind of, you know, can come into play in these these types of scenarios, I will say, thinking big picture, I actually can see the point of the air marshals because uh, if that was a thing where it became known that if shit like that happened and a marshal would then step in, what you would probably have happen is you would have, um, you know, if there was a terrorist plot, they would start with that, purposely as a diversion or to weed out who the marshal is on the on the plane and then take care of that and then after that you know go into trying to take over the plane or whatever the thing is so they're actually and you know if you're thinking three, you know a couple moves ahead then it is important that the marshals stay focused on what that mission is uh, because otherwise that can be used against them as far as uh, what the, the bigger picture goal is, but just a couple thoughts there continue, please.
1: No, absolutely. There that's because some people were bringing that up, like kind of on the side, like why doesn't some, when the air marshals step in, well, that's why. And I totally understand that because, you know, you have to have your fucking priorities there. And, you know, if the airlines on their own can deal with the MAGA idiots, I mean, for, forgive me, it's, it's not just the MAGA idiots, it's just the fucking MAGA idiots. Uh, they're able to sit on the plane and, and really be there for the big, big problem, you know. And you're right, if if um, terrorists wanted to, they could root out the air marshal right away with a made-up, fabricated uh, uh, little spat on the plane. But anyway... I thought it was so fucking interesting that this kind of behavior is just fucking spread like the pandemic itself on the airlines because I don't know about you Dave, I hate fucking flying. I cannot fucking stand f- flying. I can't. And there, and it's not a BA brocus. I ain't getting on that plane, Hannibal. It's not a a fear of flying. I can't fucking stand people. I can't fucking stand being that close to people. Even before they started making the goddamn seats, you know, toddler fucking chairs that they just fit your fat ass into. I can't stand people. I can't stand being, I get claustrophobic being around that many people shoved together. And I would always think when I'm on these planes, shit can really pop off here and what the fuck would anybody be able to do you would it's sort of like lord of the flies you would have to Take care of this yourself, much like some of our previous conversations. Well, now apparently shit is popping off left and goddamn motherfucking right. Chances are very high you're going to see some shitty, terrible behavior on this flight that may affect you, okay? So it's happening all over the place. And I'm just thinking, well, I'm definitely not flying for a while until everyone calms the fuck down if that ever fucking happens. And then just to add to your travel misery... I don't know if you heard about this. You may be able to get a flight cheap and get anywhere you want now that, you know, the airlines are actually selling the tickets for the prices they always should have been selling the fucking tickets for. Rates are
0: starting to go up again, but yeah.
1: Okay. But when you get to your final destination and if you need a car from a rental company, good fucking luck because Hertz Enterprise, all of them, Avis, sold All their fucking cars to stay afloat during the shutdown. So now that everyone's flying again, they're getting to where they need to go. No fucking problem. Then they're going to the rental car company, which they've already reserved a fucking car, and they don't. The 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 rental car companies don't have the car for them. Like, sorry, we're out. We'll we'll try to get you something else. It's so bad, and this is a separate issue that people are getting U-Haul trucks as a rental car to get from point A to point B because the rental car companies don't have them anymore. Fucking great. So fuck you travel. The best thing to do is just stay in your goddamn little bubble called car and go from point A to point fucking B. But the deal is I wanted to send this article to Dave and a couple of people had commented on it before. What do you think is happening with the general behavior of the public at large here? That's A- and B, why is it? Is it just because you've got two groups of people that cannot fucking stand each other but absolutely have to use the same form of transportation and be shoved together like sardines in a goddamn can to get to from point A to point B to point C and they just can't fucking stand each other long enough to sit next to each other for four to six fucking hours, and, it, and shit just pops the fuck off. What do you think's going on, Dave? And, and how, how did this get this way, buddy?
0: I think the problem is Q, Jason. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> At least partially. I shouldn't I shouldn't have timed that right as you were about to take a drink of whatever that beverage is. But uh, <laughs> anyway, um, so... In, in all all joking aside, I, I actually do think it is related psychologically, uh, it, it, i.e. similar psychological mechanisms going into it, as the sudden absolute, pardon my expression, explosion of public shootings that we've seen in the last, you know, month or, you know, two months, is you have these, quote-unquote, return to normalcy kind of thing, and... Which means people are starting to go out again in a more widespread way, not just in a it's Florida YOLO kind of way, but in a more widespread way across the country. And then, but you still have these longstanding, just wounds that have never been healed one way or the other, you know, you still have all of this societal angst that has been pent up over the last, you know, year plus, I mean, longer than that, really the last four years, last eight years. I mean, you could go probably all the way back to the, um, 2000, you know, 2008, 2009 financial crisis and even before then, but, um, where you have... There has always been money in the creation of an other. The other, more so than at any other time possibly since the Civil War, has really become like your quote-unquote fellow citizen or your fellow man or whatever. You know what I mean? mm mm-hmm. So yeah. it's a thing where you have people's just angst that has reached just all-time highs that is also being fed by this media bubble um, that is making money off of this, you know, this, um, I'm trying, this, I don't want to keep using the word angst, but that really is the term that keeps coming to mind, this kind of societal anxiety Um, and I mean, let's, let's not kid ourselves. We talked about how the, the, you know, cable news ratings have have tanked since Biden took office, which was anticipated because, you know, he's not the attention vacuum that, that Trump was, but that has always been how 24 hour news cycles make their profits is coming up with reasons for people to must have to tune in you know so they're still trying with everything that they got to, to keep these eyeballs and the way to do that is to constantly stress the negative and what the crisis is of the moment and i think that's one one thing that plays into why you you'll suddenly see a whole bunch of shootings in a short span of time is because they get so much goddamn attention that you have these people that are trying to make themselves important if only for A fleeting moment. That's not justifying any of this awful fucking behavior. Fuck all of these people that do this type of shit. Whether you're, you know, shooting up a public place or deciding to punch out, uh, you know, an airline attendant on an airplane, it's it's an extreme example of the bullying type of mentality and behavior that both you and I have talked about and that we both deride. Uh, You know, you may notice it's always. These people that get so enraged that they can't manage their emotions and they act out whether they be drunk or sober or whether they wear a MAGA hat or, you know, wave a blue flag, whatever the fuck it is, they're always very selective about who they're venting that anger out on, right? Like, if they are planning on conducting a shooting, they will always go where they think, you know, a large number of unarmed people will be, for example, um or, you know, if it's a thing that's gonna happen on a flight where like a flight attendant gets attacked, it's always like the older one or like the, you know, the five foot one and hundred pound like it's never like the six foot three former military veteran who's now working in the aviation industry who's getting, you know, for the most part. So it's it's always these people that are trying to make themselves feel like they are the hero of their own story. But in order to be the hero of their own story, there has to be a villain that they are fighting against, but they don't want to fight against anything that will actually possibly endanger them. So therefore, they pick a villain that they feel that is weaker than them. Whether, I mean, I think that's the basis where a lot of racism comes from. I think that's the basis where a lot of just fear mongering bullshit comes from that psychological mechanism. Because then you get to act like you're fighting some brave battle, like by refusing to put a mask on while on an airplane, and, you know, act like you're fighting some heroic fight against oppression without actually taking any real personal fucking risk. And so you get to try to have all of the... And that's why social media is such an echo chamber of outrage. Because you get to have these bully pulpits where you can have all of the outrage and and act like you're fighting some heroic battle without taking any of the personal risk that comes with accountability. That's also why you see fight, flight, or fuck it. Why so many people are, are choosing flight or fuck it. Because that's in person. You see what I'm saying? So I... I, it's kind of a rambling response to what I think is um, both simultaneously a complex and a very simple mechanism. You have, and it, it, it's not strictly a politicized issue, but I think uh, the politicization has targeted this type of mentality because it's the easiest to manipulate, is you have these people that are feeling the need to feel superior to something in some way. But they're cowardly in that they don't want to actually do that against anybody that could actually pose any real risk to them. So they're doing these real public displays of, you know, oppressive outrage and violence and shit against people or items or things that they don't actually feel legitimately threatened by. And I I, I think it plays into how the, how the insurrection happened on January 6th, you know. Um, yeah, I that's, agree. That's kind of—I mean—it's a rambling response, but I've got a migraine. It's kind of the best I can do at this given moment. It's, tell me what your thoughts are on all of that, and if that made any kind of sense.
1: It it does. Um, you know, where you got somebody that I'm always, in, you know, because I'm part of the hospitality industry. It's <laughs> yeah, always, I was thinking
0: about that when you were talking about how much you hate the public. But continue.
1: It's true. I mean, the yeah. thing is that oh, yeah. when, if it's in my job. It's my fucking job, and I think that a lot of people don't understand that. When I say that, I've said it my whole fucking life, is it's my job. There's a lot of things that people, I don't think they understand. When I've said this in the past, so you know, I would like to set the record straight is I just come from a background where you go to work and you do a job even if you fucking hate it. You go to goddamn work. Now, I could do a whole fucking show on this. Believe me, a lot of our platinum listeners know so by saying that is if you pay, you know, the Brock Lesnar of hospitality enough money, I will fucking deliver every single goddamn time. You'll feel like you're the most important motherfucker in the world. But when the light's off, the camera's not filming, you're not fucking paying, get the fuck away from me. And that's just the way it is. And by the way, all those people that take care of you in any, any regards, they feel the same fucking way because they have to deal with it. Do you want to know what dealing with the public's like with no oversight to to if you lose your job or not, it's called the DM motherfucking V. That's how you would become if your job was not, you know... Precarious by the way you deal with the public. Because that's, believe me, the public will absolutely drive you fucking insane. Drive you fucking insane. So when I see these airline stewardess or the attendants, whatever you want to call it, and they're being bullied, they're being choked, slapped, hit, hair pulled, all of this shit has been recorded in the first four months of this year. Okay. I, it's the same thing at restaurants where people fucking act up. When these gunmen go to either a school, they'll go to a supermarket, they'll go to a fucking massage parlor. They'll yeah. go anywhere where there is not going to be resistance. A, a resistance of someone. If you're a real fucking man, which you're not, you fucking pussies. You wouldn't do this in the first place, but you sure as shit don't want to take on anyone that'll put your asshole right in the ground, do you? No, because you're a fucking pussy bully. That's what you are. So when you're up in the air bullying these people, thinking you're a real badass for not putting your mask on, then, you know, because you're drunk off the 18 fucking vodkas you you had before you went on the fucking plane, urinating on it. I think it's really interesting, the public outrage that has happened over just being terrified of fucking change and thinking that you are some kind of big badass for acting horrible to people in the hospitality industry, whether that's, like I said, restaurants or supermarkets or whatever have you, these people just put their fucking uniform on, put a fucking smile on their face to get you through your goddamn experience, okay? And for you... To take your shit out on them? Fuck you! You shouldn't have to. You shouldn't be able to fly again. You shouldn't be able to fly again. You should be fine. Get the fuck off the plane. If they have to eject you, eject you. Speaking of, that almost fucking happened in mid-flight. Some motherfucker was so drunk he started opening the emergency hatch. Would have sucked every motherfucker out of the plane. That seems and to happen other...
0: every year. Like it seems yeah. like that happens at least once.
1: And, and like the, like there was like four or five dudes who had to set up and literally put this man down before he opened up the goddamn hatch. I mean, it's out of fucking control. The public's behavior, the public can't even be entrusted with themselves fucking anymore. So I'm just saying, like, um, any idea of flying out there, folks. I I would really, you know, consult with the stars and and take some Xanax. And if they could make you into a cryo freeze prison before you get there, maybe, I don't know, maybe you could travel with the luggage. Maybe that'd be a better flight. I really don't know what to tell you folks, but it sounds like hell up there. And my, my heart really goes out to all the, I mean, there are even people who have started slamming on the fucking doors of the cockpit where the fucking pilots are yelling and screaming about shit i mean if you can oh, what control could go yourself, wrong there if you can't control yourself for four to six fucking hours taking a flight with other people don't take the fucking flight okay i mean this is just absolutely bizarre to me because the people that are suffering are all the people that are just shutting the fuck up putting the mask on as per medical advice and getting through this goddamn horrendous thing called an airplane flight in the first fucking place, okay? Then you gotta stand up and start your shit? Get the fuck out of here. It's just amazing to me that this is the kind of behavior that we're seeing, and it sounds like it's such a fucking Clint Eastwood, you know, old man fucking rant, but you just really are like, dude, what has happened with the behavior out there? Like, really, get the fuck off my lawn and control yourself on the fucking planes, what happened
0: here? Well, I would just say that if, if you're going to travel, you know, and, you know, obviously ideally you'd be vaccinated and doing so in the safest possible, possible, possible way, but that's kind of, aside from that, if you're going to travel, really go out of your way to just be kind to the people that are helping to facilitate this process. Even if, for whatever reason, you think they fucked up something or like, as long as they're trying, like just be fucking kind to the people that are out in the public having to deal with this shit on the daily. And if you see someone else giving them shit, maybe like try to help them out or just step in and, you know, just be like, Hey, you know, like chill out, man. Like it's, I, I think that you know, and, and I, I really hated the expression during the pandemic, the, uh, you know, essential business. Mainly, I understood the need for that term and what it was used for. But what happened was it became a marketing term. You know, you, you had these businesses that are like, we are essential during the blah, blah. I was like, fuck off, all of you. But you had, you know, these people that were kind of hung out to dry during the pandemic, the grocery workers and the airline workers and stuff, like, they never were able to take any... <laughs> any time off for the most part, you know, uh, not as an industry. Um, and I mean, airlines to a degree had layoffs and stuff and furloughs because there just weren't planes in the air, but, uh, you know, it's, it's a stressful time for everybody and just look past your own nose for 30 seconds when you're out doing anything in public, whether it be flying, whether it be driving or renting something or like eating somewhere whatever, just, Just behave in the way that is expected of that business, i.e. I don't care if you believe in masks or not. If you're on an airplane and they say you must wear a mask, that's not for you to fucking dispute it. Go maskless in your own fucking house if you want to. But if you're going to go on someone else's plane and that's what they're requesting, then that's what you fucking do. Like, and you're not a revolutionary. You're not a rebel. You're not edgy for talking shit to a flight attendant or for you know talking shit to the waiter because you figure you can because you take shit at your job so why can't they because no one should fucking have to that's why uh i think it's it really just comes down to kind of classism in society and everyone believing you know there's people less important than other people and i think that's a bullshit mentality In, in the most extreme examples you see it in these these kind of outbursts that we're talking about
1: Oh, absolutely. I always, you know, for for me, this is just a little bit of advice I can give any female listeners that we have out there, which is about 30% of our audience, I believe. Um, You can always tell a man, this is old advice, you can always tell a man that you're dating, how he would treat a child by the way he treats animals and pets. Okay. And you can always tell how he's going to treat you once the relationship's going by how he talks to servers. And how he talks to people that are in the hospitality industry, helping this gentleman get through his fucking day or experience. I'm not lying. It's tried and true. It shows up again and again because it's a subservient sort of position where they're locked into having to be with this motherfucker. And you can tell right away. And it just strikes me as so many people out there treating the quote unquote help or the hospitality workers of the entire country like absolute dog shit because that is the low hanging fruit for a bully and it really pisses me off to 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 see that happen to anyone um like I said with the whole incident that happened in my fucking restaurant uh my first job and first priority is the security and safety of my staff. That's the very first thing that I have to take under consideration. And to see that this is happening to other other hospitality workers, what no matter what they're called, at the grocery store or what have you, it just fucking pisses me off so much. Because if you could see it from my side, with the amount of effort that goes into making you feel important and you get through your fucking experience, it's, it's pretty unbelievable. And to treat them that way, it's, uh, it, it says more about how you know how little class you've, you have, honestly, and, and, and how little of a human being you are when you act that way to people who are in an industry and in a business just trying to get through the day and make you feel a little bit more special than you actually fucking are.
0: And I've seen this quote attributed to Sam Jackson. I don't know if that is accurate or if that's just something that the internet just kind of came up with because people love putting random quotes onto pictures of celebrities and like imply that the celebrity said it. Um, It's not a new thought, but I've seen it most, I've seen the wording of this particularly attributed to him. I don't know if it's true or not, but I'll throw that out there. And I do think this quote is true regardless of who initially said it or if multiple people have said it due to parallel thinking. That goes along with what you've been saying, Jason, is that, uh, the true judgment of someone's character is how they treat someone they don't need anything from. Like even a server, you need something from. A lot of times, people still treat them badly or put themselves somehow as more important than or whatever for reasons we've already talked about. But you know, you, you if you're looking at it from a transactional standpoint, like you you do need that person there to do something for you. It's but how you treat people you need nothing from is really the kind of the base, baseline judgment of where your character is. And I do think that's true, regardless of who was the person who initially said it. Now, one thing I think would be interesting, dozens around the world, if any of you would like to chime in, because uh, we were talking, you know, primarily, focused initially on the travel industry. Uh, what are some of s- crazy travel stories, experiences, outbursts, just things? It, it could be failures from a customer service standpoint. Could be failures from a fellow traveler standpoint. Whatever floats your boat or flies your plane, we would love to see it. Jason, where could they tell us these things?
1: Well, you can get a hold of us. All these wonderful listeners that we had last week from Germany, from Romania. Australia, Italy, France, Canada. You can contact us at askdaveandjason@excite.com. Jason at excite.com because well God damn it
0: staying at home and not traveling is exciting. And you know to, to follow that up a great man once said, Jason, get off my plane. And um, while we are not talking about that movie today, we are talking about a series of other movies that that great man has been into, and it's the best transition I can come up with at this given moment. So, no, we are not talking about the movie Air Force One, but let's talk about Indiana Jones. How about how about how about that for a transition, Jason? Is that does that rank in the top ten of our greatest ever?
1: It sounds really good because we actually just did a old man, or at least I did an old man rant on you know all these people's poor behavior. And if there was ever a grumpy old man in the movie universe, uh, it's uh, it's Harrison Ford in the last twenty years. So that was that was good. Air Force One, absolutely.
0: Yeah, My God, the CG was awful in that film. But uh, regardless, uh, let's talk about Indiana Jones, Jason. It's something we've actually meant to do for several weeks. Indiana Jones has gotten bumped off of this show more frequently than Matt Damon has been bumped off of Jimmy Kimmel uh, just because we've either been running long or shit's happened that has just kind of dominated more of our time. But this has been on the agenda for maybe like at least four to five weeks because childhood is dead, Jason. I don't know if you knew that. I
1: certainly do, sir.
0: I thought so. And uh so let's let's talk Indiana Jones and the various incarnations thereof. Um great films, great films. Now I I do know for a fact or at least I'm willing to bet if I'm you know, again, you and I don't pre-talk about these subjects because what's the fun in that? But from my memory of when we talked about Harrison Ford, you know, previously uh, on the Jason's Hideout segment and and just you know in life as as friends, uh, you are not a fan of the fourth Indiana Jones film, am I? Am I correct in remembering that properly? Oh, you are fucking correct, sir. That's what I thought. Okay. So I, I liked the fourth one more than you, but it's certainly the... Like, I didn't hate it as much as, like, a lot of people did. What I did a not...
1: Dave Baudry position.
0: Yeah, exactly. I um I did not like um, Sia LaBeouf in it. I did not like that character. I did not like the idea of that character and that whole thing. But, like, the the fact that they were, you know... We may have some spoilers here, folks. Uh, they're old movies. Uh, what can I tell you? So there may have been aliens and stuff like that, but it, that to me that wasn't more outlandish of a subject matter than like you know the cult you know yanking people's hearts out in in Temple of Doom. Um, I know a lot of people were like aliens was just not an Indiana Jones thing. I mean, yeah, it kind of is. It falls into the the pulpish thing. But I mean, there's no denying, regardless of where you stand on the fourth film, that I mean the original three are definitely the you know the gold standard as far as the, you know, um, of those films go like the, the, th- the, the original three, I think all hold up greatly individually. And then the fourth one, whether you like it or hate it comes in well below them. I think that's a fair general assessment. Most people would agree with.
1: Yeah. Uh, listen, I, uh, there's been many times I have referenced Jason's hideout on this this show, but this is the one I can really, truly recommend. Okay. If you go on YouTube, which we all do every day for something, look up Jason's hideout and then look up Harrison, what the fuck Harrison Ford, WTF Harrison Ford. Okay. By far, it is my favorite episode we ever did on that fucking platform, and it not just because I had Commander Cody and the wonderful Dave Bodry with me, but the subject matter uh, was so good, and the way we covered it, I think, was so. Perfect. I don't think we could even do better now. I it was it was just we were all on, we were a 10 out of 10. I think it's the best episode we did uh, collectively. So please look that up. Uh, Jason's Hideout WTF Harrison Ford. And that's basically about the actor's whole career. Now let's get back into the the Indiana Jones series. A lot of you out there who know me very well know that Raiders of the Lost Ark uh, before there was any Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark title there, uh, when it was just known as Raiders of the Lost Ark, when it first came out in 1981, uh, this is in the top three to five films I love the most in the entire universe of movie making. Uh, I love Raiders of the Lost Ark so much much it it's the one that made me just fall in love with Harrison Ford um Jason you know, I,
0: told me the other day that it actually ranked right up there with the Snyder cut of Batman v Superman or Batman v Superman fuck I fucked up my own joke Justice League anyway continue
1: and you deserved it so the thing is that the first film with Raiders is so good it honestly I didn't see another action film that even you walked out and went holy f- Fuck, that was the greatest action film of all time until T2 came out. It was like there was Raiders of the Lost Ark and then all this fucking time passed. And then something like 10 or 11 years later, Terminator 2 came out. I was like, well, shit. I mean, it was the only thing that I knew even came close to an action adventure movie. And obviously Terminator is a, a science fiction movie that is a perfect, perfect film in that genre and you know obviously i knew harrison ford through being han solo in the star wars films uh but when raiders came out i did not see it on its initial release okay i knew it was coming out it was 1981 i you know but i didn't get to see it when it really hit my psyche and ingrained itself in my fucking brain was when it went on hbo and for a lot of you my age i don't know about dave's age but but I'm a little older than Dave in the fact that for a lot of you guys in your mid 40s out there, guys and gals, um, HBO was not like it was today where it had 10 fucking channels and played maybe a film twice a day, you know, where it had all these different movies. HBO would have like, say, two major films and five shitty films, and they would play all of these every day all month long until they've got a new one. So they got Raiders of the Lost Ark, I want to say around 85, around 1984, 85, and they played Raiders. I mean, it was like every other film that was played on HBO was Raiders. So it's like I got to see every scene a billion fucking times, and it was it. I mean, it just became my favorite film. I used to fucking go on the playground and the big jungle gym that's shaped like a like a dome, that was the well of souls. I, would, I actually got one of my Grandpa Jim's fucking fedoras from back in the goddamn day. I had a jump rope as my whip. I was Harrison Ford as Indiana Jones every fucking day. I made some girl be Marion, whether she liked it or not. The fattest kid was always going to be Sala. I recreated the whole damn movie every single day. I mean, I fucking loved Raiders of the Lost Ark. Devil's I still Advoc- do. Devil's yeah.
0: Advocate, Jason? Uh, now you said it was your favorite movie of of all time. Um, Superman came out in seventy, like seventy, was it seventy eight or seventy was nine or seventy eight, wasn't it? Um, so Superman or Raiders of the Lost Ark?
1: Now it's Superman. Now it's Superman. But the, the thing is, like that's a whole separate subject. Is how no, I was movies, just curious. Yeah, yeah. How movies will come and go, and you'll give and take. And it's also like they're 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 your I don't know they're your best friends. You've got like five six best friends. You I mean can't you can't go wrong choose. with
0: either one of those things. No,
1: so. but I mean the thing is that you know it's just one of those things where you, the magic sometimes works on you, sometimes doesn't. And honestly, I think as the as the Indiana Jones series went on, it actually took away from the whole shine of my my love and image of Indiana Jones. I loved Raiders the whole thing from start to end. If you haven't seen it, you know, you that's, you've got to go fucking see that movie. It's, it's just, it is what it is. Can
0: can I say something real quick on that is um, in, in relation and this is partially because of the, you know, the age thing that you kind of mentioned is I'm you know, about 20 years younger than you. Um, Sorry. I had to, had to, just throw that out there. But anyway, in all seriousness, I'm about five years younger than you. And um, so I believe, I'm not positive about this, but just the way my I remember it is I believe I saw Temple of Doom first. I believe I saw Temple of Doom first. And that was really, uh, you might know more about the the film history in this, in this sense. I believe Temple of Doom was one of the first, I mean, certainly on a grand scale, you know, in a, in a big budget film, one of the first examples of a prequel. I did not realize, I don't know for how how old I was until I finally figured it out or someone told me or whatever, that actually Temple of Doom was intended to have taken place before Raiders of the Lost Ark. Like, I saw Temple of Doom first and then later saw Raiders, but I knew Raiders had been made first, and I always assumed, chronologically, that Temple of Doom took place <laughs> after Raiders of the Lost Ark. So anyway, that's part of my early experience was just being really surprised like however many years after i had initially seen them that Temple of Doom was actually a prequel to Raiders of the Lost Ark because I didn't know that at that point.
1: Well, that's interesting because you would have seen it then in the correct order that they, they wanted the story to go. Yeah. Um, but the thing is that um, it, in George Lucas' and Steven Spielberg's mind, they always were fascinated with the idea of the motherfucking prequel. Always. And that was their first attempt. And I think that most of... You know, dumbass Americans, they they didn't know it was a prequel, it was a sequel, and they knew it was another movie with Indiana Jones. Um, when when Temple of Doom came out, I am the only one of all my friends, of all the people I know, who do I do not like this film. And for people that know me, they know this about me, is like, I can't stand Temple of Doom. I think it's I've there's too much that. There's too much Gaga, too much comedy. Uh, There was way too much gore. Steven Spielberg himself says we out-poltergeisted poltergeist. He goes, we were just trying to do something
0: like cultish and supernatural. It created the PG-13 rating.
1: That that in combination with Gremlins, it was a it was a two it was a double edged sword. Is Gremlins and Temple of Doom was when the ratings boards like we need something that's not PG but something that's not R and it was those two films uh, collectively that year. But Temple of Doom, uh, I think, is just uh, you know it's not complete garbage. There is certain things that have I've grown to enjoy about it, particularly Harrison Ford is acting in it, and you know that's always a kudos to him on that. He did that at one point. But um, I think the film uh, sucks, and co- particularly in comparison to Raiders of the Lost Ark. When you're watching Raiders of the Lost Ark, it almost seems like something that Cary Grant or Humphrey Bogart or you know somebody of that could have starred in that film, and it oh, could yeah. have been made in the 30s or the 40s or the 50s. It's timeless. It's got this classic timeless, you know, Casablanca thing going on with it that well, it's also, just it's timeless.
0: Also because of the time period with which it's set. You know, yeah, that, but that but, plays it, into a similar because you know if it if it was a science fiction film set in you know twenty four twenty five, then it would might be a little tougher to imagine you know Humphrey Bogart or, or Cary Grant. Where when it's when there is Nazis running around, it's easier to picture them. But also, it's a, it's a credit to the filmmakers that they very purposely were. Um, Gave it the visual style that it has that it plays into that period of Hollywood and that kind of time period of storytelling as well, like a Casablanca and so on.
1: Yeah, well, it, they did a great job at that. But, you know, watching Temple of Doom to me, you're watching a film from uh, 1984. Um, Can I say so the thing is, real quick, is that, real quick yeah. on that,
0: um, the one thing I will say that has great sentimental value to me about Temple of Doom uh, there was a friend of mine I went to middle school with, high school with. Uh, we kind of, uh, kind of didn't talk as much in high school and then we kind of reconnected at Michigan state cause we both went to Michigan state. So then, you know, we would talk a lot and we had, I ended up with a couple college classes with him, which is hilarious when you think we had different majors and, you know, like there's a, that's a big ass fucking campus. But, um, so we kind of reconnected in, in college. He later on went on to, uh, become a, a police officer and then, um, he was shot and killed in the line of, of duty. Um uh, December 28th, 2008. Um, one of my fondest memories of him is when we were in middle school. Uh, I don't know if this was the case still as he got older, but when we were in middle school, his favorite movie was temple of doom to the point where, uh, you know, I had a, you know, my family owned a lot of movies growing up, but at at least at that time, temple of doom was not one of them. And we were, or, was it? No, it couldn't have been. So we were at—he uh, and I were at a video store to rent something because he was going to spend the night over, and he was adamant about renting Temple of Doom because it was his favorite movie. I'm like, I've seen it like so many times, like, and he was like, No, man, like this is this is the movie. This is the movie, and um, so always, anytime that I think of him. Um, I always think of Temple of Doom and just the absolute joy that he got, at least at that time in his life. As I said, I don't know if that extended to, you know, I don't think we talked about it when we were in college, you know. But um, I always think back to that period of time It's just the absolute, you know, joy that he got from that particular film. So that, that holds a sentimental value for me for that reason. Um... Now I know you were about to go somewhere, and then so go back to that, and then we'll we'll move on because I also do know we have to talk about, of course, uh, Sean Connery's performance that really helped, really cement the third film, and I'm trusting you will probably be the one to transition us there. So uh, continue, Jason.
1: So the thing is, in 1989, the Jones boys were back, and um, what was really awesome is getting the only person that had that kind of gravitas that that presence uh, to play. Uh, An Indiana Jones' dad, someone with maybe even more charisma than Harrison Ford had and that character, was was going to be Sean Connery. And when they got Sean Connery to play Henry Jones the Senior, we named the dog Indiana. Was um, Sean Connery? He pulled it off. He was amazing. And what's even greater, I think, about um, The Last Crusade, Indiana Jones: and The Last Crusade, is that I think that Spielberg—I don't know Lucas's mind, but I—I I definitely know Spielberg was trying to bring it back to that same feeling and quality that they had with Raiders of the Lost Ark and he has actually said in an interview where it I mean I don't think he made it as an apology film right uh, at all but he definitely did not want to make a Temple of Doom he he didn't want that kind of over the top spectacle blah 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 he really wanted to make a almost like it was the, you know the sequel to Raiders as as a as a two-parter and uh they just my God, Indiana Jones, The Last Crusade is is every much the classic that Raiders was. And Sean Connery, just every time he's on the fucking screen, he is just, his presence is overwhelming. He, he's chewing up scenery without doing much of anything but just being him. And the chemistry between Harrison Ford and Sean Connery is absolutely fantastic uh on the set at the very beginning there was a little bit of you know older lion versus younger lion one of the ironic things about the whole deal is sean connery is only 12 years older than harrison ford yeah. but um the, the you know but he's playing his dad and it fucking works and uh they, there was a little bit of lions circling each other but then when they got on the same page boy did they get on the same fucking page and that film is just absolutely Fantastic. It 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 does everything it's supposed to do as a sequel. And it's a standalone film all on its own. And, uh, you know, the late Great River Phoenix is at the beginning of it, too, who had a good relationship with Harrison Ford and, and was almost a son figure to him. So it's just a oh, my God, it's just a fantastic movie to end out the 80s. And uh, to see all of the the main heroes ride off into the sunset on horseback at the end, literally, it's the it's where the credits roll over it. Uh, I just thought, well, there's just no need to make an Indiana Jones film ever again. That was fantastic and then they made another goddamn indiana jones film and i think we all know how that went um and it made temple of doom look like raiders so well, we have to
0: this, we we do have to move on but i'd love yeah to, let me ask you two questions jason uh because i think it's, it's important for the the dozens to know uh i'm pretty sure i can guess this but uh can you rate the the films in order of enjoyment for you how would you rate those the the film series
1: oh raiders is number one period the end raiders is number one number two is last crusade uh number three is temple uh the fourth one is that shia labeouf fuck fest crystal skulls kingdom bullshit. uh and then we don't know what the fifth film is going to be like um well, we'll but it see. is it's definitely coming out and Harrison Ford is actually, at the time of filming, will be 78 years old. So it'll be very, very interesting to see what in God's name they can come up with. Uh, Steven Spielberg is not directing, but he is the, I think, the head producer guy of the whole thing. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, but I really hope they bring it back around to, to Raiders and Last Crusade, that type of feeling in, in those films, that classic Feeling of, of that um, the the serials from the old days that action adventure pulp serial kind of thing you know what I mean so we'll see what
0: happens you mentioned River Phoenix is, is playing mm-hmm. the young Indiana Jones at the beginning of the the film my favorite River Phoenix movie is still Sneakers I think as far as a movie he had a major significant role mm-hmm. in um, but um, that's a whole nother another story but uh, did you watch the television series of the the young Indiana Jones. I
1: watched I watched it just a little bit. I know two people in my life who fucking ate it up, knew every single episode. As You know one of them very well. He goes by the name Joe Baca. And uh, yeah, he would make me watch certain ones. He said, you got to watch this one. You have to watch this one. Okay, because
0: yeah. I never really got, like I never really watched it, so I don't have an opinion. But I was, you know, I figure we can't talk about Indiana Jones and the Legacy without at least mentioning the fact that yeah. it had a television series. It and- did. You know, I didn't have an opinion on it one way or the other. But uh, dozens, if you want to chime in on it, you know exactly where you can do that. Are you anything further you would like to, to talk about uh, in regards to Indiana Jones before we tackle our last subject of the week, which is bound to be interesting?
1: No, I mean, the only thing I would tell people out there is if you trust our, our opinion and you trust our judgment on it, th- and you guys do, you look shit up, you watch stuff again. You probably have seen Raiders on TV, on like TBS or TNT or HBO or Watch it again. Watch Raiders again with fresh eyes as an adult, and see just how fucking amazing that that motion picture is. And that's it.
0: All right. Uh, so there was a Randy Savage documentary that A and E did, and it's a hell of a lot more divisive than uh, the previous ones that we've talked about. Jason, yeah. uh, we talked about Roddy Piper's last week. You know, pretty pretty universal praise on on that one. Uh, a few couple questions raised from it, but nothing. You know, no big quibbles as far as its quality. We got questions on the Randy Savage documentary. Now, I will be frank. I have not actually seen it. I intended to watch it today for this program, and a migraine prevented that from occurring. However, I have read about it significantly. I am aware of what much of the contents are, so I uh, you know, I can chime in on things that I already take issue with. But since you have actually, you know, seen the film with your eyes, Uh, let's get your opinion first and then, uh, we'll chime in on this because my God, this, this was a lot more divisive, I think, than what I was anticipating going in because going into it outside of Roddy's Savage was the one I was most excited about. And at this point, I still don't know if I'm even going to bother watching it. I will watch the Austin one once I get around to it, but, uh, Savage, I, I may actually not from everything that I've read, but let's, uh, let's quickly, uh, quickly break it down. Go ahead, Jason.
1: Okay, so for all the listeners out there, all the dozens and dozens and dozens, listen, folks, for a lot of you, you became wrestling fans. I mean, a lot of you, based on our podcast and, and our stories and who you should watch and, and all this kind of stuff, all right? Um, for all of you out there that want to know more about Randy Savage than just, ooh, yeah, Miss Elizabeth and Slim Jim, those three, those three elements— Watch this fucking documentary. It is still a good overall, hey, we'd like to tell you a lot about Macho Man Randy Savage you probably don't know. And for a lot of, a lot of you out there who only know those real three elements of this iconic figure in wrestling, you're definitely going to get something out of this documentary. So it's not dog shit. It is a good documentary. Now let me talk to the 25 to 33% of the the dozens out there that are goddamn wrestling marks i'm not asking you to skip it i'm just letting you know this is not the best thing that's ever been done on randy savage there's the the issue is that there are some facts that they straight out get wrong and the facts are usually anecdotes by wrestlers in their interviews uh, getting shit wrong Jerry Lawler is is definitely one of them who gets some shit really really fucking wrong uh and but the the overall thing is the reverential to him they talk about him yay it is still something worth watching but for all you wrestling fans out there I can tell you this and this almost this, this is something that doesn't hurt to say I guess but it is something that I want to let you in on most of you are not marks like uh, Dave and I are, May, uh, super fans of of pro wrestling uh, that own you know goddamn everything on on physical media, um, but I do with Randy Savage. I pretty much have everything they've ever released on the dude and um, WWE actually got this more right than A&E a few years ago. That was going to um, be
0: one of my early questions. If you could only pick one, if someone is interested in Randy Savage, doesn't know like much about him, and you could only recommend one, the WWE documentary from several years ago, I forget what name they gave it, or the A&E documentary, which one of those would you say better represented the person and the performer
1: in 2014 the wwe released a blu-ray dvd uh whatever have you called macho man the randy savage story which is a tremendously fantastic documentary on randy savage and uh that's the one i would recommend but you see i have to say it with an asterisk cuz so many of you out there are not going to go out there and buy this fucking Blu-ray or DVD. You should. But if you're not going to, please watch the Annie documentary cuz the man is too amazing not to watch something about him and this is not a piece of shit thing. It's just not the best thing they ever did. The the Randy Savage story that came out in 2014 after Randy passed away and Randy died in 2011. So this is 3 years after he died. The interviews are so much better done. I can never knock WWE's in-house production crew. I think they're better than a lot of ESPN has. I think they're better than Hollywood has. For whatever reason, Vince has always retained fantastic talent as far as this kind of work goes. If you watch the network, that 24 Hours or the documentaries they do many times are much better than the actual matches and the, and the show that that's on. So that documentary was so good because they got interviews from Diamond Dallas Page, uh, Kevin Nash, his high school friends that knew him before he was even in pro wrestling. Um, they, they, you know, Dusty Rhodes is talking about when he when he saw him in uh, the Fort Homer Hesterly Armory in Florida. Just much better all around, and it's also done. And this is hard to believe, Jesus Christ! I can't believe I'm saying this. WWE even was more, I think, reverential and more fair-minded. And and there's even a segment in that documentary that WWE does back in 2014 that that lets you know that shit went down between Randy Savage and the McMahon family that they're just not willing to talk about or go into very much further. But they drop enough motherfucking hints, and they did a really good job on that. Something the A&E documentary didn't cover at motherfucking all is um, Randy's, they kept saying Randy wanted to get back in the ring. Randy wanted to compete again. Randy wanted to go to WCW because Vince wasn't letting him wrestle. But then that's where they leave it. They 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 don't ever uh, go into the details that once he went to WCW is only a couple years later, he was literally in the award-winning feud of the year between him and Diamond Dallas Page. And they don't cover that at all. And that they make made it made a seem star like,
0: out of Page more than it anything made a, had up to it that made point. A
1: star, it made a star out of Page, but it also led, led a lot of credibility to his life story that Randy made the right decision. He still had a lot of fuel left in the fucking tank and got to use it one last time and the kind of things that he wanted to do with Shawn Michaels that WWE wasn't going to allow him he took some of that same uh fire and brought it to WWE, and finally hooked up with an opponent in Diamond Dallas Page and made him the star he is today through that feud <clears throat> Pro Wrestling Illustrated gave the award best feud of the entire year and it was absolutely deserved. It was one of those old school fucking uh, married up couple type goddamn arcs where it was the whole year. Like the whole year was the feud between him and DDP and it was just fucking great. It was the last great run
0: that Savage had, I would say.
1: That's right. That's exactly right. And and A&E, they don't cover that at all doesn't even get brought up, whereas the WWE documentary certainly does. Also in the A&E documentary, as it's been brought up by a million fucking marks out there, uh, there's a lot of timeline shit they get wrong. They do deal heavily with um, uh, Elizabeth Hewlett, Miss Elizabeth, um, and that's fine because he's she's part of the Randy Savage story, but there's a lot of like talking about her that didn't need to be done at all. The whole if thing you're with about the story.
0: Luger didn't need to be there because right. that had nothing to do with Savage.
1: That's right. And I will say this too. If you're also interested in the Randy Savage story as it pertains to Randy and his wife, on-air personality manager, Miss Elizabeth, Elizabeth Hewlett, there's a better documentary on that too. And that was done uh, by Vice in 2019. Dark and it's called... It's called a match made in heaven, dark side of the ring, and that hour-long program only really truly deals with the relationship between Randy Savage, Randy Poffo, and Elizabeth Hewlett, and both their on-screen and off-screen relationship. And by the way, I I can't recommend that enough. That's a five out of five fucking stars. But it deals with that segment of Randy and Elizabeth's life, and they do it better than A and E did. Did it too. So you've, you've got two different things that you can watch if you want specifics. Randy's life is so complicated and it's, and there's so many ups and downs and there's so many chapters to the, the man, both professionally and personally, that I, I can see how it would be hard for A&E to bring anything new. To the man in a documentary and not make it a little bit salacious and bring some shit in from the sidelines to let your average viewer who only knows Macho Man from Elizabeth up and down, you know, the the, the going to the match and coming from the match and their their love affair. And then the whole deal with him being associated with Slim Jim, by the way, WWE's documentary did better interviews and and better with that too and his ooh yeah and all that Lanny Poffo had already given better interviews so I'm not saying that the A&E documentary sucks it does not suck it is well done it sounds it's just, horribly
0: it, disappointing compared to what it could have been
1: it's just, it's been done better and before on media that, that most of our listeners probably aren't going to seek out, but they, they should. But if you're not going to seek out that physical media, there's nothing wrong with this documentary. You should watch it.
0: Well, I'll also say a couple of specific things that I read. One, I read that A&E misspelled Lex Luger's name. <laughs> which is kind of a, I didn't pick up on that but that's funny. A, I don't know if that's true or not cause again. I haven't seen that but I heard they spelled Luger like L U G A R or some shit like that and it's like what? Like what are you doing? So that I mean that's that's one one uh thing but uh, one major thing they got wrong which you already hinted at Jason but just for for further elaboration is that Jerry Lawler tries to say and apparently he's told this story before and I don't think Lawler is lying I think Lawler is just badly misremembering
1: yes is,
0: is he tells a story that um, WWF had realized Savage went to WCW when they you know turned the channel and saw him you know on the other program or whatever like no that was Lex Luger Um you know, when he made the jump from on uh, to onto the first Nitro, Savage had been out of the WWF for over a month. Vince had already done an on air goodbye to him before he showed up on WCW Saturday night, which is where he did his debut. And there was no WWF programming running opposite that at that time. Like that was, you know, like it, and it was well known that that was where he was going. And like they got that so horribly wrong in such a way, like, you know, we talked about how the the Piper documentary kind of kayfabe the 15-year-old, the you know, 15-year-old starting out against Larry Hennig story. I don't think that's anywhere near as egregious as A&E getting wrong how and when Savage jumped from WWF to WCW. Like, that, I think, is really inexcusable that they didn't fact-check that. Um, and one thing I, I don't necessarily have a problem with, I just think it's an interesting dichotomy, is the things that we... Talked about before that they specifically did not go into about Steve Austin in the Steve Austin documentary because Steve Austin is still alive and they had his cooperation and his, you know, his interviews and stuff going into it. That they, you know, certainly talked more about uh, with Savage is the, you know, they always call it paranoia or overprotectiveness. Let's just call it what it is: it's domestic abuse. Not only with Elizabeth, but also with um, I forget her real Stephanie something. A gorgeous George was her valet r- ring name um, when she was in WCW, um, and they very much go into that in this case. And also, what's interesting is you know we talked about how Roddy's family brought so much to the Roddy documentary last week. Uh, Randy's current wife at the time that he died, Lynn had no involvement in this whatsoever, which I also find interesting. I can't read into that because hell if I know like, but I, I do think there's an interesting dichotomy going on there on, on those issues. What are your thoughts? And then we kind of got to, we got to get going. Yeah,
1: absolutely. I noticed that right away too. They had had a little bit of a gorgeous George, um, his, his, his girlfriend before he got back with with uh, Lynn Payne, I believe his his uh, wife they had before he passed away and his high school sweetheart. Um, she was in that Vice Dark Side of the Ring match made in heaven a little bit, but she was very, very featured in the A&E uh, documentary on his paranoia and recording her in her house and being all fucking crazy savage. And yeah, you're right. I think that there was a lot more of a contribution by people, you know, who were saying things? And Randy wasn't alive. He's not here to defend himself or say anything. And like I said, these are these. You also have to take it in context of these are stories that people are saying. And I'm not saying that she's right or wrong. I'm saying that they also had Jerry Lawler on there saying a bunch of shit that was not right, and none, there was no fact checking on that either. So, I mean, the deal is that you just kind of got to go, well, this is who they had contributing to this documentary. And these are the stories that are fucking coming up. So, they also, there you go.
0: They also had Kurt Hawkins talking about Randy Savage's baseball career, which is a weird thing because he wasn't even alive when Randy Savage was playing baseball. And then they had Bubba the Love Sponge, you know, Hogan's oh old God. best friend, being used <laughs> in, you know, talking about Randy's wrestling career. He didn't know Randy Savage, at least not on a personal no, deep and level. Also, and this was the Hulk Hogan make shit up show about how he had he was the one who caused all these wrestlers to move to Florida like there had never been a wrestling territory in Florida before Hulk moved there. Like, you had talked about, I forget if you brought it up much on air, uh, but you and I had talked about how you had thought the Piper documentary, one problem with it was that it became a little bit of the Hogan and Vince show. I disagreed with that to a degree. I thought Hogan was being Hogan, but that there was pushback against some of what his narrative was from Kitty and other people around him. But from And again, I haven't seen it, but from what I have read about the Randy Savage documentary is it really does sound like Hogan and then Bubba of all fucking people like really try to run away with it. And I don't think they should have been allowed to do that. I don't well, think Bubba no. should have even been on fucking camera. But no,
1: Bubba shouldn't have been on camera. And what's even weirder is he says a statement on air Where he goes, let's just face it, you know, Savage, Randy was in love with Elizabeth till the day he died. That's not accurate. It's totally not fucking accurate to every other documentary and story on Randy. They made up, they were friends, just like a lot of fucking divorced couples. But he had moved the fuck on by the time that he was on WCW. That thing had been emotionally fucking wrapped up. And they were even trying to get Lanny on the A&E documentary to say that Randy was pissed at Lex Luger. And Lanny's like, I have given you my answer. Well, Jesus, now that I'm talking about the a doc, it sounds like it's a piece of shit. But I mean, there was a lot of angles where I'm like, why did they allow that to air? That's absolutely not true if you study this man's life, what they just said. So, But I, I still say, if you want to see something on Randy... And you don't want to buy physical media, which you should buy physical media. It is still something you can watch. And I think you're going to get something out of it. I really do. But yeah, no, it's not the best thing that was ever done on Randy ever. No, it's not.
0: If we're talking, if we are talking, uh, two, two questions and then we are out. Uh, if you were looking at Austin, Piper, and Savage, the documentaries as a trilogy, am I correct in that you would rate the Savage one as the lesser of the three?
1: At this point, yes, absolutely.
0: Okay, second question, were you disappointed with the end result uh, after watching it from compared to what your expectations were coming in?
1: No, because my, even though I'm excited about this A&E series, I don't hold any kind of... Like someone's going to get it better than what it's been done before. One of our one of our platinum listeners actually said, I don't know how interested I am in the A&E documentaries. There's nothing I don't know about these performers. And I said, well, you know, what I say is at least they're new interviews and there's a lot of footage. Even in the A&E documentary, there's footage I have not seen before. I have not seen before that they keep showing from, you know, his time in Lexington uh, fighting was, was pretty amazing, uh, which I did not see. And, uh, you know, a lot of that, you know, Jim Cornette has more ICW than anybody on video cassette. They might've had to contact Corny for some of that fucking footage. My
0: understanding is actually they didn't. It's possible because Angelo, probably originally might have had some of the masters. It wouldn't surprise me if some of that might have might have gone to Lanny after Angelo died, but that's just I'm sure. pure guesswork on my part. I don't know.
1: Absolutely. But at any rate, it is worth checking out. But no, it is not the the be-all, end-all on Randy Savage. And if I had to recommend one, it'd be the WWE documentary, the Randy Savage story, and on, you can find it online, the Vice episode, The Match Made in Heaven, if you specifically want to know the relationship between Randy and Elizabeth. And that's it's done fantastic, too. All right. There
0: you go. Sounds good. Uh, Well, that's our our show. Thank you very much again for listening, Dozens. Any final thoughts, Mr. Bailey? And then we are out of here.
1: No, but thank you very much for all our international listeners. Even though L.A. was our top city last week, we had more people listen to us internationally than we ever have before, particularly in Germany, Australia, France, Spain, uh, Brazil, Chile. Thank you so much. We love having each and every one of you join the dozens and dozens and dozens.
0: And on that note, on behalf of the dozens... And dozens. You were a little slow on that one. Oh, listeners out there, I am Dave Beaudry. And I am still your Jason Bailey. And we are one day closer to dead, but that day is not and will not be today. So until next week, ladies and gentlemen.